Welcome to Inside Independent Publishing. I'm your host, Christopher Locke, and I'm also the IBPA member liaison. Okay, so after a book is published, a lot of publishers focus a great deal of time and energy trying to get their books into bookstores. But there are actually a lot of other places where you can sell your books, and those places could be a perfect fit for the readers you're looking to target. So our guest today, Angela Ingle, who is the publisher and founder of The Collective Book Studio, has had some great success in getting her author's books into the retail market. So she's going to share all of her secrets with us today. Eh? Great. All right, Angela, hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Christopher? I am fantastic. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. So as I mentioned, a lot of publishers focus a lot of their time trying to get books into bookstores. But I feel like that's a, too much focus on that. And, and you've mentioned that there are other places you can get your books into that could be a really good fit for their books. So can you kind of give a general idea? Like, what are some of these other places publishers should be targeting? Um, I think it really does depend on the genre. But if you think about like a parenting book or a pregnancy uh, on hot pregnancy, maybe um, there are baby boutiques that would be interested in your store uh, or in your in your book. Um, there are also, of course, just like small little illustrated gift books. Let's say you're doing something like that or like a tiny little like tidbit quotes for inspiration. Think about your favorite little gift shop that's down the street, your neighborhood gift shop. Those are all places that sell books, right? So um, those types of places, I always think about tabletop, right? Like table like Sur La Table and kitchen stores, if you're doing a certain cookbook, like just all the places that you could think that your market, that your consumer would be, that's where you should be aiming to try to get your book in. And we spoke before the podcast and you mentioned that when you are actually acquiring books, you are already thinking, where is this going to sell well? What type of store? Yes. So you can explain some of that process and you're welcome to use like an example or something. Sure. So like, for example, if I, I have this book right now we're working on called The Quiet Selling Method, and I walk into FedEx Kinko's and they have this book section and I'm going to look at the covers. I'm going to look at the format. I'm going to look at the trim size and the page count and see because my consumer would be going into that store. So actually at the time of acquiring, I'm actually already going out to see where where would someone buy this outside of the book trade? Yes, my goal is, of course, is The Strand in New York and Barnes and Noble. But in the end of the day, where I may sell more of my of a title is a place like how do I get it into a FedEx Kinko's? And I have to be aware of what's already in there and what they're already looking at and buying. So like, that would be like, hmm, how are we going to do foil on the cover, right? To really make this business book kind of stand out from your typical business book. I, I, that's just how I think What as soon as we acquire a book. Um, we did a book called Parenting with Sanity and Joy. And this book got into Target. Um, when we, we did everything from the lay flat binding to the ribbon to the two color book, and not to say that we knew it was going to go to the Target guest, but I, I walked Target aisles. I like really did my research so that during when we're looking for an illustrator, we're kind of like looking for an illustrator that might have that kind of pop modern fun that you might see, right? Yeah. In Target, on a, on a poster, in the stationary aisle, on a t-shirt. And so looking at your book as like a full package uh, you know, looking at a book as a product 
is sort of what I do from the from the start. And I'm wondering if then, you know, um, the cost then you have to think about like, okay, some of these factors, trim size and, uh, you know, color, pictures, stuff like that. Like you also must be thinking in terms of, okay, uh, there needs to be a price point where I can still make money off this book, but it needs to raise to the level of it's got to be a certain trim size and that's going to cost more to produce, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, my background is really offset printing is, is my background is not print on demand or sort of more of the standard six by nine trade books that you sometimes see, right? My, like, look back there, there are these huge lap board books. We did proprietary work for Costco that's going in August into Costco. We we come from the world of Chronicle Books and Weldon Owen, right? Where you, we look at how paper and package. So how does that work is volume, right? So I almost have to start pre-selling, talking to accounts, you know, pitching to Nordstrom's early, pitching to Saks Fifth Avenue early, like really in the early developments, um, that's really important for us. Like every single one, I'm going to hold up a blank dummy. Okay. So every single one, this was a book that we didn't do, but I order it from the printer thinking about, this is a bagel book. It's coming out in, um, when is it coming out? It's coming out in January, uh, 2022 for National Bagel Day, right? So when I acquired it, I was like, this is amazing. We have to get this out for National Bagel Day. So one of our ideas was to actually put a die cut through and like make it a bagel. The cost was too much, but we play around with ideas as we create it. We also didn't love it, but we made it a 40 page picture book in a seven and a half by seven and a half. We just didn't do the whole is because we want to be able to go after bagel shops. Well, a bagel shop, a hip bagel shop in Brooklyn is not going to take a big standard picture book, right? So you have to think like we might not get in, but we might, or we want to go with to all these little Jewish gift shops, right? Be Everyone loves a bagel. So, um, so it's just as in the development um, but I'm always looking at cost, right? So it might be right now I have a beautiful art book coming out and we were thinking about doing a jacket. The jackets, right, is really expensive, a jacket of a book. So that might be something we, in order to hit the retail we want to hit, we can't do a jacket, right? Or for one beautiful um, board book called Noodles, Please, I have, Um we're doing a huge die cut in the board book. So there's no room for foil or embossing or other things. So you kind of have to look at it more like a give and take, like in, if that makes sense, when, as you're developing, like, and I do that all the time. We're like, we just all the time we go, could we add stickers? Do we really need to add stickers? Cause you still have to also obviously think about the retail for sure. Let's get into the nitty gritty. So these are amazing ideas and, um, it's, I'm also an author publisher, so immediately I'm like, ooh, where could I sell my books? Um, but the big question is then, how do you get into those stores? Like if you target a place and you go, that is a perfect fit, who do you talk to? Like, what is that process? I mean, I have distribution with um, Independent Publishers Group um, out of Chicago. And when, so, and I, you know, without having distribution, that's really hard. I'll just have to be completely frank. Um, it 
when I launched um, the Collective Book Studio, we started as a packager and we did a project with a museum that got on the list with Simon & Schuster, right? Because we, I, we almost as a packager, like this Costco had an immediate end user proprietary. We we're almost doing custom work, right? Because we come from the custom arm, many of us, even from Chronicle Books. So, so we already were making books, for example, I have this really beautiful travel series, right? Shrinkwrapped, belly band, embossing. There's a pocket. It's amazing. This is a custom book. So I have, we're creating product for a travel company and they are just buying it off of that. That's not outside the trade. When you have, when you want to go into like a Nordstrom's or a Saks Fifth Avenue, you really have to think who is your partner for distribution? There's so much back end, whether that be EDI ordering or, you know, if you think about a large company like a Nordstrom's, they're not going to want to open up for every vendor, new vendor, right? So the, the power of a distributor is that they already have an account with you. But it doesn't mean that you, if you do have distribution, you still as a publisher need to help your distributor get in there. So how do you do that? You, from the very beginning, you start ordering dummies, samples, proofing, and you really create, like what I would recommend is you really create um, a pitch, an angle of why your distrib- your distributor should be working with that particular account. So you tell them, you say, hey, uh, we think Nordstrom would be a good fit. And then they go, okay. And you kind of convince them and then they go target that. Correct. And I network, right? Or I might, you know, but in the end, you really have to make a close relationship with your sales team. That's what your sales rep, let's say you don't have distribution. Um, You know, there are lots of rep groups out there, whether that be Stephen Young or Anne McGillray. Um, there's smaller rep groups, but really figuring out relationships with 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 reps is really key. I know that it cuts into margin, but maybe because I come from sales, right? My I have 20 years of sales, marketing, and business development. I know how much these salespeople work, and I think they deserve that. They deserve that cut because they work hard, right? They're on the road. They're continually thinking about new angles. So one thing that I always say to publisher to publishers and my own team is how do we relook at the angle? How do we re help our reps provide them the tools to get into the store we want to get into? So for example, we are doing a project called Eat Cake for Breakfast and 99 other um, small acts of happiness. And it's going to give back to the UCSF Oakland Children's Hospital. This is all embossing. It's a tiny little gift book. It's these sweet little illustrations. Um, my role is to say, okay, for local Bay Area stores, do I create shelf talkers? Do I give all like, and do I create the visual so that when my sales team is out there selling, they're all, they have the tools they need to already go to the, 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 the store and say, oh my gosh, if you buy 10 of these, you're going to get this shelf talker that really says it's really cute. And then maybe if you do a special display, this is one of my ideas, we'll give you an exclusive print that they can sign. So maybe there's these tiny little gift stores that would really be interested around Oakland and the Bay Area 
to take a stack of a $15 gift book, knowing that we're really aiming to raise about or, or to, to give about 50% back of our proceeds to the hospital. So you kind of have to almost tell the story and your mission to the, your sales team so that they can really help you get into those stores. And then I also think for authors, if you're listening, you're an author, you are always the best tool too. So really going into those stores, asking, looking, showing them their book, they might not buy it from you, but cultivating those leads and giving them back to the publisher, that is a dream. That's what I want my authors to do, um, to go into like some really cool, I don't know, there's a book and pickle store, for example, in New York. Like my attitude is if you book really feels that that makes sense in that pickle bookstore, go in there as an author, show them that book. Um, I have a book called Once a Bear. And I told my author, he's in New Jersey, Barnes and Noble passed. I said, why don't you go and talk to the manager and show him them your book? We've tried as the publisher. The author went in showed them how beautiful and how amazing that book looked. And the manager was able to buy it for their local store. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. So then, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of uh, like personal interaction with these different stores and such. Now, one question I had, though, I think when you have distribution, like my understanding was that they you're supposed to let them handle that and then you're not supposed to meddle. But maybe, I don't know, sometimes they're okay with that. Um, I don't call it me- I don't call it meddling. I call it um <laughs> I mean, listen, if you think, okay, I got distribution, I'm done. I'm gonna make the book and my distributor is gonna do the work. No. There are like no, no matter if whoever you have. Even I at Chronicle Books as a sales rep, I had great they distribute, right? I had blue I had uh, blue apple books, I had cork books. I had, we had a, we had a bag of our distribution partners. David, president and and publisher of Cork Books would come in and he would give us Corrigan ideas and other ideas and sell sheets, even though we're Chronicle Books, he did, he still had to do the work, right? To help me as a sales team think differently how he's going to get his book. Remember Babies Are Us was around and we got the book into Babies Are Us. But I needed the just the publisher to help with those angles, to help with the ideas and the shell sheets. And you still need to do that even with your distributor. Look at holidays. Look at if you're doing a book, I don't know, um, around St. Patrick's Day. You can't expect your distributor to know thousands of titles. Yeah. You know your book better than yourself, right? I mean, better than the distributor, better than anyone. Yeah. And I want to clarify for people too. So you were talking about distribution. So uh, if you get your book on Ingram Spark, technically it, it can be, you know, a bookstore or library and can buy it. But what you're talking about is full distribution where you have a team of people and that's that next step. Um, and it is a bit difficult to get that, especially for indie publishers. Um, but uh, it, it, you know, it's possible and that, you know, places like IPG uh, exist. But I just want to clarify for people because they're like, but my book is in Ingram Spark, and it's like, well, that's mm. not that's not exactly what we're talking about. Um, so I wanted to ask then also because it seems like you know for major publishers, it's 
really it's easier for them to get into bookstores. So I was just wondering, is that kind of the same issue where indie publishers also have a little more difficult time to get into the retail market? Or is that not as difficult as it is for like bookstores, for example? I mean, I think that the retail market is competitive and you have to look at your bookstores also as a business, right? So like some of my favorite bookstores, what is Miss Dalloway's here in Berkeley they are, why is it so awesome there? It's, they sell books, but they also have socks and bags and plants. Like it's guard, like they've just done an awesome job at merchandising, right? That bookstore, they are a business. You have to still look at your book as a product, even if you, you, you're created, you have to look at it as a business, right? How is that bookstore? going to sell your book, right? They can't just be like, are, you know, are you going to provide, they might not want book bars, they might not want anything at the bookstore, but how are you going to drive customers there? How are you going to make sure that the bookstore knows that your book is there? And sometimes it does take some creative packaging, an awesome cover, looking at color, um, looking at what embossing, debossing, foil, a funky spine. What is going to stand out on the shelf? A cover is key. People do judge a book by its cover. Does a store, I don't know, Nordstrom or whatever, Target or something, like, do they buy like 10 books or like how many, like, what is that normal process like? No, no, they buy thousands of books. Okay. They buy thousands. So they'll buy uh, like that, like they'll be like, yeah, we like your book. We're going to get 3000 So that's the issue with Ingram Spark and Print on Demand, if you be, to be completely frank. If for a small bookstore, they can order a print on demand, it will come, right? No problem. Or an, indie, an independent bookstore, you're a local author. But how, if you're a local author and you're based in Atlanta, for example, how is a, a, a bookstore in Iowa going to really know about? Not really, right? At all. That's where the sales team comes in. That's where the publishing house comes in. That's where your platform. So if you know that your Atlanta community also, this type of book would work in Iowa, you need to think about who are you going to make sure you're known there? Are you reaching out on social media? Are you reaching out on Twitter? Are you finding book bloggers and reviewers based in that city? And that way you can call Left Bank Books in Iowa and say, I have all of this audience here. So if you're an indie publisher with Ingram Sparks, that's the only possibility is you still have to grow your platform. My Because I'm a lifestyle publisher, meaning we do full visual visuals, we are actually in some way think about the impulse buy in a different way, right? So that, so it depends on the category, but if you are a YA self-indie publisher, you're going to have to grow your audience that way. I don't do YA. For me, I do gift impulse buying, meaning you've got this. This is a labor book. Okay. There's what to expect when you're expecting. There's all kinds of big encyclopedia labor books. Why, how is my book, when she's based in New York and has something in Chicago and Oakland, how is this book going to stand out in Iowa, right? On the bookshelf. How am I banking on that? 
I'm banking on that because look at this. When it stands out, look at this spine. If you look at the spine, it's awesome. I'm so proud of this spine. It's <laughs> two boards and we like pasted two boards. So if you're a pregnant woman looking through the sea of books, right? In this bookstore, you're like, what's that on the shelf? That's kind of, gl- oh, I'm going to pick that up. This is really, and then you're going to open it and you're going to see how absolutely beautiful it is inside. That's how I think and my whole team thinks. So when our clients come to us, when we we acquire authors, we don't really acquire two. We're a different type of publishing house. I call myself partnership publishing, actually different than hybrid. We have full distribution and we, we, we package, we create our own content. We also have authors. When they come to us, they're, they pay us for our creative development, our ideas, right? Our, our way of thinking. So you deliver us a manuscript, we're going to think about it in package so that when that store in Iowa doesn't need to even know of the author, because that mom is so excited about this book, right? Because how beautiful it is and wants it, you know, to, and it lays flat and she color codes it and there's a purpose to it so that when she's with her partner, she's like, open up to the purple section and she knows exactly what she needs to do. So I, I, I publish, if you think about it, I publish to a retailer almost. I think about the retailer. I almost think they're a business and they need to make money. So how am I going to make a book like I would actually a baby blanket or a toy. Publishers, you need to start thinking about your spines. All right. They are very important, apparently. They are. So get on that. <laughs> uh, well, so I want to ask uh, something that happens with bookstores is the returns. And it really hurts publishers because mm. there's uh, yes. like, let's say a thousand books are sold or, or bought by a store, but then 900 are returned. And suddenly a publisher gets into trouble. Is that also an issue that publishers should think about with retail stores? Um, how they need to protect themselves if there's going to be big returns. Yes, yes. Return. It's a risk. Entrepreneurship, product development, um, publishing is a risk. It just is. Um, so there's two. I always think I've talked a lot about this. Of um, you know, if you want to go the non-returnable print-on-demand um, model. It's a different model. And, and Amazon and Stinger and Sparks have done a great job at building a business model, right? Then there's traditional publishing that in some way has a lot of, they have a lot of backlist, right? They have Eric Carl and Dr. Seuss, so they can take risk in a different way, right? We don't have the biggest name out there and stuff often in independent publishers, So how do I offset that would be, I think, the question, because I am always taking risk when I go into a Target or I go into a Sam's Club or Costco, is that you, I, I, um, if you're going to go into mass market, talk to, think about, do they do a test? For example, do they, can they test your cookbook in just like only barbecue areas? Or really, is do you have a local book that you can just get in San Francisco if it's like aerial shots of the city? Like very, very try to don't don't go. Oh my God, I want to sell six thousand, ten thousand copies across the board to this the biggest chain. Even Barnes and Noble, 
I'm more happy with a buy that's in their top business section or their top parenting section. So I get like twos or threes and I get around 700 copies in those top stores than ones in all their stores. And you've got over 2000 copies out there because the book is not going to sell everywhere. That's just not, no matter who it is, right? Even big, big houses, like the books, a book is still for a certain audience and a certain market. Someone mentioned that you, as a publisher, should have a certain amount of money that you always just put aside and kind of prepare for returns so that you're not hit with like, I don't know, a $7,000 bill and you're like, oh my gosh, we can't pay it. It's almost like you assume there will be returns and then you you yes. actually, your business model is to have money always ready to, to cover that. 100%. So you have to think, okay, if I need to sell 4,000 copies of this book, I'm going to get 800 back in returns, do the math and see if that works out for you, right? Like I always say, do the math, like to go into retail, we need you. We need at least to sell four thousand copies for this to breathe and break even. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And already be thinking in those terms and be prepared for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, and so I, now I want to go to a different topic that we talked about before: um, ancillary products. Um, can you explain what they are? Why they're so great? Um, and and why how people can maybe think in those terms too for their books. Yeah, so we're doing some journals for the spring of 2022, and we're doing some postcard books, So, um, which I consider ancillary. So ancillary product is like, for example, we have a beautiful art book coming out, and it's just, it's 312 pages, original illustrations, just absolutely gorgeous. It's very niche. When it's a book like that with a high retail, 2,000 copies, we actually can make money, 2,000, so we don't need the right? But the art is so gorgeous. And I'm like, oh, 2000, are we really going to make any money? Because it's costly to make these books, right? What if we took the art and we just wrapped it around a blank journal, a line journal, a grid journal, and that's what we're doing. So then you have, you're going out to an art you're going out to like a gift store or a Jewish museum. And you're, this is the, the book was really, I'm thinking about a Jewish museum for it, right? So I'm like, you can go out to the Jewish Contemporary Museum and you can say, hey, look, we have this book. We know it's around $40 retail. It's a very, it's going to be only a niche market. That said, we have these beautiful journals and they're more likely A, to think, take it. They can create a display and the journals are under $20 and they're going to make, we're all going to make more money and we already, the art's done, right? The art's been produced. It's it's already for the book. We paid for the illustration. So that's how I, I also think for publishers is if you have the content, how can you repurpose it? Take the art and create a postcard book for it. Like create all their stuff because listen, you publish this book and you're sitting on 600. What are you going to do? You can have your sales reps go back out to accounts and go, you know, remember that art book you you had and you sold a couple? Do you still have it in your store? Oh, I don't. Hmm. We're coming out with these postcard books. Would you put another art book next to it and these new brand new postcard books? And most likely, that's a really smart way to think. 
the the small gift shop would be like, oh, that's a great idea. I could sell another high-end art book one and I'll take a couple of each of your postcard books. It's a way to resell backlist. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to finish up with one question about, so, okay, a store buys your book, right? Let's say they get 500 copies. Um, do you, like, what happens after that? In the terms of, like, let's say they sell all the books, like, do you just assume that they'll order more because it's popular? Or do you, as a publisher... Or maybe if you're working with your distributor, um, you have to somehow keep reminding that store. Remember how that book did really well? You know, like how, how does that, what's that process after you sell your books? These are such good questions. I mean, you got to be tenacious. I mean, sales is, that's why that your sales reps get money, right? Is because they, I, I, they, they, you have to, they have to go back out to the store. So yes, like you think holidays, you think Valentine's Day, if it's a heart book, like create sell sheets, like give your distributor. That's why I said it's not meddling. It's giving them tools. So they have new front lists, new books. It's just like the media, right? You're, you're always focused on new. Well, my argument, even in media, is that if it's a nonfiction book, you're still a doctor, right? You wrote a book, you're a doctor. You're not a doctor for six months. You're still an expert in that field. So like go, instead of the angle being about your book, like think about what else are, is coming out. What are what are you supposed to be speaking on and other ways to kind of get you back out there. I mean, podcasts are great, but also I'm really looking right now at like, how can I get um, into some corporate buys like, or, 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 you know, other sort of specialty areas I'm looking at. You know, there's a bunch of companies that do gift boxes, like just all of the other places. You should continually think where your book might be, because that's where your market might be. Uh, And I agree that I think a lot of times people or publishers think, okay, well, my book came out two years ago. Uh, That's all we could get out of it. You know, it's like there's there's ways you can you know, reignite interest in it. And um, you don't even have to like redo the book in any way, but just it's the way you sell it to these stores. Because um, it, it maybe I'm wrong, but um, I don't, do they care if it's brand new or more just that it fits their, their market or who are their audiences? I think it depends on the genre for sure. But look, no, if you're a tabletop store and you did something on Thanksgiving, four years ago and it's beautiful and gorgeous. And let's say the cover is, I don't know, a teal and their whole new tabletop line happens to be teal and your cookbook on Thanksgiving matches the tabletop and napkins. They're going to want your book over everybody else's because it merchandises well. They do not care that it was published four years ago. Still great recipes. It's still got, it's still relevant. You know, your turkey, your stuffing, your cranberries, you got it, you do it every year. So absolutely, what I look at is like, what's the Pantone colors, right? They come out every year. Follow trends, follow, go to stores, see what's, what the colors are, palette is of Nordstrom's or Sur La Table. And if your book in Backless Works Red, re-pitch that angle to your sales team. Well, I'm going to redo all my covers and make them teal. So thank you. <laughs> That's what I've gotten out of today. 
I'm what genre do you do? <laughs> it's it's young adult, so it says that's that yeah, would be ridiculous. So young no, adult no, is kidding. young adult is a little trickier to get into tabletop. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk separately, and I'll get more more tips from you in secrets. Um, yeah. Is there anything else about getting your books into retail that you were like, oh, I had to mention that, and I forgot, um, or I didn't ask you about it? My biggest advice is to where is they located? Where is it different? And and work with that author to like really be able to sort of think creatively of how you're going to see that market. And if you can show success there, most likely, I mean, if you can like project out and show success in certain markets, you can approach a larger IPS or IPG or PGW Ingram and just kind of show them some success in need of market and possibly get larger distribution. Thank you. That is good advice for everyone. Um, so I, I, I like the way your brain thinks. I'm an, an, uh, I'm an author publisher, but I think I need to focus more on the publishing stuff and, and talking to you. You know, I think indie publishers, same thing. Like, you know, you think in terms of business, you think in terms of packaging. I think that's great. So I hope that this was all helpful information for them. Um, and uh, it, it, I want to also talk about IBPA real quick. Um, so if you want to learn more about IBPA, uh, go to our website, which is ibpa-online.org. And uh, we have all kinds of other helpful tips and information. Uh, Angela, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, it sounds like you all are doing really well and that you really care about your authors. So um, I, I, that's as an indie publisher, I think that's something that, you know, they should always be thinking about how they can help their authors too and, and, yes. and get the word out. I, Christopher, thank you for saying that. I, I, I say this often to people who are aspiring to find a publisher that like, don't always look at the big five, right? There's a power in the small press and there's a power in independent publishing. I grew up, I've 20 years, you know, I started at Publishers Group West and I've seen the four agreements. I was part of that marketing team when it became a New York Times bestseller. And Maybe I'm a true, true optimist, but coming out of this world pandemic and COVID, I really do think people want to buy from small independent owners like myself. I'm, you know, there's no VC or angel or seed round. And so how also, this is one other advice to everybody listening, is how are you the entrepreneur? How are you as the publisher and author, the business person? what are what's interesting about you and maybe go pitch that site to your small independent boutiques because they may take a chance on you in a very different way than they would have because in many ways they don't want to buy big business ibpa we can get behind everyone supporting indie publishers yes, and uh, we you. you know absolutely agree yeah um i mean uh, I and I also think that uh, they speak to a market that isn't. There's a lot of you're talking about niche books. I mean, I think indie publishers are so good at finding those niche markets that these big publishers are not publishing. And um, I think that you know, if as long you just got to let these stores know that you exist. And I bet, like I agree, that they'd be like, oh, well, this is this is exactly what we want in our store. Um, and you know, it's just a matter of letting them know you exist. That's the hard part, I think. Yeah. So like if you're a doula and you're writing a doula book, like go research, reach out, like there are plenty of clinics and things. This might be for, like, this is your time. Sell yourself. That's also part of, you know, I have to be honest that I have to do it too. Right. I have to be like, Hey, you know, do you want to buy from a woman owned 
press, an independent press. And I get a lot of people like, yes, can I buy your books? Great. Thank you. Great way to end on optimistic terms. All right. Well, thank you, (laughs) Angela. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure that you subscribe uh, every last Thursday of every month. We have a new episode. So have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you.